Radio Beacon, the podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald. I'm joined here by Tiger Allen, reporter from the Warwick Beacon, and Jake Morocco, editor of the Johnson Sunrise. How are you guys today? Doing all right. Yeah, doing well. Excellent. It has been a uh, pretty intense news week, as everyone is aware at this point. The coronavirus, COVID-19, is uh, it's been here in Rhode Island for a, a time now, and this week things uh, continue to really escalate um, locally and nationally. Um, there are still five cases, uh, five confirmed cases uh, in Rhode Island. Some of those are still awaiting CDC confirmation, I believe, as of the time we're recording this on Thursday morning. Um, Governor Raimondo earlier this week declared a state of emergency. Um, there were various aspects to that, some additional measures she announced too, aimed at assisting employers and employees uh, during this time, urging people to stay home if they are sick. Um, she subsequently announced uh, just yesterday um, she's urging the cancellation or rescheduling of any gathering of more than 250 people uh, for the next two weeks. Um, that's obviously having a a wide range of, of ramifications on events like the Newport St. Patrick's Day Parade, um, other large gatherings across the state. Um, schools are not closing at this point, thankfully, uh, from what health officials are saying. The virus does not seem to be as worrisome for young children, but there is obviously still a great deal of concern um, in the community among families. Um, the, of most concern, health officials say, are folks over the age of 60 or those who have underlying health conditions, they're at the greatest risk um, with this illness. Accordingly, there have been new restrictions placed on nursing home visitation, hospital visitation. So, um, you know, this situation is evolving seemingly hourly over the last uh, really 12 hours, I guess, at this point, we've seen nationally, um, uh, you know, the, the, the NBA has suspended its season. Um, there have been, uh, uh, President Trump was on the air last night, um, you know, announcing some new measures. So uh, we will stick with you locally, bringing you um, the most up-to-date news on the virus here in Rhode Island and the communities we serve and how it is impacting daily life. We urge everyone to, uh, you know, follow the guidance that, that health officials have been consistently giving, which is to, um, you know, wash your hands, stay home if you feel sick, uh, use hand sanitizer in lieu of washing your hands to cough into your sleeve or into a, a tissue. Um, take those basic, uh, you know, flu season precautions to avoid transmission and, and just stay tuned uh, for the latest guidance, um, but we hope everyone is staying safe out there. We will be joined shortly by Karis Transu, the clinical supervisor at Thrive Behavioral Health, formerly the Kent Center um, in Warwick, to uh, tell us a little bit about her organization, about what um, she is seeing and her staff is seeing from clients in the broader community in terms of the psychological effects of this, how she's advising people to um, deal with their anxiety, how to talk to children. Um, so we'll have her coming up in just a couple of minutes. I would note on the Cranston side, there was some other uh, non-virus interesting news this week. Um, 
there are two two long mentioned potential aspirants to succeed Alan Fung as mayor have set uh, announcements in the coming weeks that uh, it very strongly appears will be mayoral campaign kickoff announcements. Uh, Steve Stikos, the Democratic uh, citywide councilman, the top vote-getter citywide in the 2018 race, uh, has set, set up a website. He's on Twitter. He teased a, uh, a big announcement coming soon, and on his website um, he has the details for a March 24th event at Pub on Park in Cranston. Um, Stikos is uh, term-limited, can't seek re-election to the council, and has long been considered a likely. He's, he has said that he is uh, strongly considered a bid for mayor. So it appears, based on the Stikos 2020 campaign materials uh, seen in a, a photo that he shared and that are on his social media, um, that he is prepared to get into the race. Also, uh, citywide councilman Ken Hopkins, a Republican, um, has uh, teased a couple of weeks ago um, a major announcement about his 2020 plans. He had previously ruled out a mayoral bid, but he appears to have reconsidered um, he's had a series of social media posts that heavily hint he is going to enter the mayoral fray. He has an event scheduled for April 13th at Cranston Country Club. Uh, Council President Mike Farina is already in the race on the Republican side, so uh, Ken Hopkins' entry would set up a, a primary contest there, which is pretty interesting. Um, so we will continue to follow the mayoral race developments and, uh, and see how the field shapes up. Tiger, I understand in Warwick this week there's uh, been discussion, um, a proposal to extend the length of terms for the mayor and members of the city council. Yeah, uh, Councilman Ed Latticer, uh, he has a resolution. It wasn't discussed last Monday's uh, council meeting, um, but that will be discussed on April 6th. He is suggesting that councilors and the mayor would get four-year terms. And from what you guys have told me, the mayors in Cranston and Johnston both have four-year terms already set. So it would be following suit. I think what you guys said is most of Rhode Island yeah. has those term limits. Um, and then another item from Warwick is the future of the turf fields at Tollgate and Pilgrim High Schools. Uh, engineers came back with their research and found a series of different options for both schools. So for Tollgate... There is a $3.6 million, $4.2 million, and $4.8 million option uh, depending on restroom quality and stands, bleachers, lights. And uh, so that those are for synthetic turf fields. And then for Pilgrim, there was a $4.15 and a $4.75 million option for that school uh, with similar uh, additions and, and yeah. renovations to those existing fields. Are those fields seen as part of uh, a strategy to draw, you know, additional events to make the yeah. city a better host for, for potential uh, gatherings and stuff, athletic events? Yeah, Warwick uh, City Council President Steve Marola, uh, he is a really strong advocate for this. He really wants it because he sees the, the revenue that it yeah. could bring in um, because he, he's gone to those events and, and seen in other towns and seen how much money it can bring in. So he wants people to come to Warwick to play and additionally keep students in Warwick sure. um, because they, you know, they can choose another school if, if they would like to go that way. And he wants to see people stay in Warwick or come to Warwick. Mm -hmm. That's great. So, the, yeah, those are, that, that's the update for the turf fields as that was presented Monday night yeah. council meeting. Excellent. Yeah. And, Jake, I understand that... Uh, 
the Encompass Health proposal up in Johnston for a new facility received a key state approval this week. It sure did. The Health Services Council, after its, I believe its third meeting on the topic, I've been to all three of them as they discussed Encompass Health. The first one, uh, can, uh, I had a presentation from the Faulkner Consulting Group, and they kind of presented the objective merits of it, that there really wasn't a need, but that it was a fiscally responsible and clinically competent proposal. So they had that information. The next meeting was the rebuttal from the Encompass group, group Deb Rocha, and um, the, the Encompass group kind of presented their side of the story. That was about a two-hour presentation. And then this time around was the final bout of testimony from people against it. A lot of hospital groups testified. This meeting lasted about four hours, and the vote ended up being three to two in favor of Encompass, and now it goes to the director's desk for approval. And it's a big get for Johnson if everything goes as planned. It's a 50-bed inpatient rehab facility that would just about double the amount of beds in Rhode Island that are available or licensed. And, it, uh, you know, Mayor Policina was pretty excited about it. I caught up with him yesterday afternoon, actually yesterday morning. It was right around noontime. And he kind of reiterated what, reiterated what he said about other companies being afraid of competition and that it's a great get for people who want competition and want to have different, you know, potential patients who want to have different options of where to go. So it, it was a big, big win for the town and a big win for, obviously, Encompass. And it, it does stand to reason the questions proposed by the Rehab Hospital of Island, Kent County, the Hospital Association, all these groups that, pro, that have protested it, essentially, in what is it going to lead to. And we won't know that answer for many, many years. But it's it's an interesting interesting proposal from their point of view, but as it stands right now, unless, you know, barring a rejection from the director or something along those lines, it looks as though Encompass Health will be joining the inpatient rehab facility community of Rhode Island. Had some other development news in Johnston recently, uh, word that the town will be the home of the state's first market basket. That is correct. There was uh, be following up on that this week with the mayor for something a little bit more in-depth, so be on the lookout for that. But the initial release, that they, they were just, uh, they announced that first market basket, it's going to be uh, on Hartford. It's on Hartford Avenue, and it's it's a big get. It's a big, big get for Johnson. It's huge for them, and it's I mean, you know, Mayor Paulson is always about business development. He's you know, a champion of development in the town. Sure is, and uh, the vice president of the council, his son Joe Paulson Jr., weighed in on Twitter. He's excited about it. So uh, we'll we'll see how it goes in terms of you know the they said they want to be open next year that I don't know how ambitious that sounds we'll we'll see about that but it's certainly a a big development for Johnson because in my conversations with the mayor he you know doesn't like big open spaces not being filled so if they can get market basket in there it's it's a and looks like they're going to it's a huge huge coup for the town so. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's market basket's on the way. Certainly generated a lot of excitement on social media. I know. It's it. Thank you guys for the update. That's our uh, roundup of the headlines from our communities this week. Uh, we'll be back right after this with Karis Transu, clinical supervisor at Thrive Behavioral Health. She'll be talking with us a bit about the coronavirus situation and its uh, kind of broader psychological impacts in the community. We are here with Karis Transu. Clinical Supervisor at Thrive Behavioral Health. Karis, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, can you start off? My understanding, Thrive was formed in 2017 uh, in the Kent Center and Riverhood. River, excuse me, Riverwood Mental Health Merge. Can you 
Tell us a little bit about the organization. Yes. So um, as you said, so Thrive is a combination of formerly the Kent Center and Riverwood Mental Health. Um, we are now a much broader agency that provides a range of services through the entire lifespan. Um, so we work with young children um, all the way through um, older adults. And my specific department is um, children's services. So I work with youth and family. We have other departments that work um, with adults that have serious and persistent mental illness. Um, we provide substance use treatment. We have residential care. We provide housing services. Um, so really for Kent County, we can really cover all the needs. We also have some programs in the Providence area as well as East Bay. Sure. So we're kind of spreading out across Rhode Island. Excellent. Today we are hoping to zero in a little bit on the mm -hmm. coronavirus situation yes. and uh, the way it's affecting people mm -hmm. psychologically. Yes. Um, obviously, this has been on the radar for a few weeks now, but it's really escalated in the last few days. What changes are you seeing among clients in the field? Um, what's on people's minds at this point? Sure. So our team was talking about this yesterday. I am mostly office-based, and a lot of my colleagues are in the community, um, and we've noticed just in, in general, more anxiety and fear around the virus, um, particularly spreading it. So we have families that are um, less available to have us in their homes, which is where we provide majority of the treatment. Um, we've had a lot of cancellations at the center. Families just don't want to risk coming in and being exposed. Um, and so we're trying to run business as usual, and it's been hard to provide the treatment that we need to give to people. Um, and so we're looking at other alternatives around, you know, telemedicine, providing therapy over the phone. Um, so we're looking at all the options so that we can continue to provide the good care that we do. Um, for example, on Tuesday, I had six clinical hours scheduled and only one client showed up. So that was, that was very, like, alarming to me. Um, I typically have a very busy client schedule during the week and people just are not willing to come in. Um, I think the reality for our youth in the program is they turn to social media. Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of misinformation and rumors and panic that's being spread. And so for the youth that have come in to meet with myself and my teammates, you know, we're encouraging them to check the facts, rely on, you know, the good news sources, um, and to just maintain good hygiene, you know, just continue to wash hands and, and keep social distance. And, and really what I've been doing in my therapy sessions is just providing a space for kids to just kind of talk about any of the thoughts and feelings they have around this issue um, and kind of help them work through that. And I think something else important to note is that our the population we serve already has underlying mental health issues. And so they're already vulnerable to feeling things more intensely. And so when you have this type of crisis going on around us, it just leads people to feel a lot more uncertain. Um, and so we're really just trying to provide reassurance and, and work with parents on talking to their kids about it. What kind of guidance would you offer folks in the broader community that might be experiencing heightened anxiety right now, um, you know, having other concerns and, and issues with the latest news? Sure. Um, I think certainly, you know, taking a break from social media, limiting how much, how much exposure there is to that, 
Um, and, you know, whether it's the CDC or the World Health Organization, calling your doctor if you have concerns, um, we've really just been advising people to stay away from, you know, the other kind of less reliable news outlets. Um, and, you know, certainly if it's, if people's anxiety and nerves are, are getting to a level where it's impairing their ability to work and attend school, you know, come in and see a professional to kind of talk that out. Um, the, the response has been so much more reactionary versus proactive. Yeah. And so, you know, it's really helping people tease out what are the facts and what are we interpreting through our emotions as being this, you know, imminent deadly thing. And even at the center, you know, we have developed all these kind of like hand washing stations and hand sanitizer and just, you know, notices in the bathrooms, just really encouraging people to be vigilant. Yeah. I mean, that's the best, that's the best we can do. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think, I think for our community that already is, is vulnerable, you know, just to encourage, encourage people to come in and see us yeah. or someone else in the, in the community if they need help. In terms of specifically children, too. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, it appears the virus is a little less right. worrisome for, for kids, but there's you know a lot of chatter, I know, on, on yes. social media <laughs> in the community about schools. There's a lot of concern there. Yes. What's your advice to families about the best way to approach this with kids? So I've told, I've told the, par the parents I work with you know, to trust their gut. If their child is symptomatic, don't send them to school, and certainly don't keep them in extracurriculars or bring them to appointments at the clinic if they're not feeling well. Um, you know, I've also encouraged families, you know, follow the school's guidelines. You know, if, you know, we will hear from the governor if there's some level of, like, public school shutting down. Um, at this point, it's affecting more of our college-age kids because um, we work with kids up until age 26 in our program. Okay. And so some of them are being told they need to, you know, take their classes online um, or they can't stay on campus. And so trying to help families navigate like the logistics of that. I think so for our younger kids, I think making sure the information you give is um, according to their age and their stage of development. So we don't want to overshare and make our kids feel more afraid. Um, you know, some families have said to the little young ones, like, hey, you know, this is, this is a really bad flu. We need to just be much, much better about germs. Um, so depending on the age of the child, you want to limit like how much you're sharing and just provide reassurance, give them a space to talk about their concerns and just really encourage hygiene and sleep is a big thing too. Um, you know, one of the doctors on our team who meets with a number of our kids in the program always talks about sleep hygiene um, and nutrition. So kind of just basic health things that we should be focused on um, can help kids kind of stay resilient to this. Um, but you're right. The, the truth is that it's not impacting a lot of the littles. Um, we have families, though, that are that live like intergenerations. So we've got grandparents in the home, yeah. um, parents, extended family members. Um, and so, you know, this has reached people in different ways. A lot of our families are in apartment buildings where there's a number of residents. And um, I think those are the families that are probably feeling a lot of anxiety now just because they're in more of a populated area. Um, so our staff are just, you know, we're continuing to push through and, and we're available to come and see people at home or wherever they feel comfortable. Um, we're also offering to them, you know, to do things over the phone 
which for some people is really challenging. They may not be comfortable using the phone if they struggle with psychosis or paranoia. You know, that's not something that's going to help out. So yeah. it's become paralyzing for some people. Yeah. We just we just want to be supportive and and stick to the facts and not get carried away or too roped into um, like the sensationalizing of it. Sure. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about how to connect with Thrive, either for issues related to this or beyond? Yes, so um, Thrive serves everybody in the Kent County area. Um, you know, you can call our number, which is 401-691-6000. Um, you know, if you're interested to, to just speak with someone a little bit or if you'd like to set up an appointment, um, call that main number. We also have a 24-hour emergency services number, um, which is you don't need to be a client of Thrive. Anybody in the community can call that number. Um, if you or a loved one are in some type of mental health crisis, and that phone number is 401-738-4300. Um, you would be connected to a clinician that would either speak with you over the phone to provide some guidance, or they might encourage you to the local emergency room um, if you're in danger of hurting yourself or others. Um, so we're here if anyone needs us in the Ken area. Um, and I really appreciate you guys having me down. Of course. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Karis Transu, Clinical Supervisor at Thrive Behavioral Health. We are here with Alex Von Seller, Sports Editor at Beacon Communications. Alex, thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. How are, how are you? I know in this, uh, we've, we've been talking about uh, the COVID-19 situation mm -hmm. on this episode, and obviously it has a lot of implications for the local sports scene as well, my mm -hmm. understanding, and uh, catching up with you here is that uh, there have been some significant changes in the, the planning for local high school uh, basketball and, and hockey tournaments. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. That is correct. It's all just breaking now, so bear with me as my head's spinning a little bit. Uh, yeah, this broke about nine minutes ago from the Rhode Island Interscholastic League. Uh, when you look at the boys' hockey uh, finals that are going on this weekend, it's for Division One and Two. Originally, it was scheduled at Brown University at the Miam Auditorium, and uh, they switched it over to the Boss Arena at URI. Uh, looks like it's going to be the same dates and times, but it's just obviously a different location. Uh, and then for all these games coming up, for all sports, the only people that are allowed in are going to be essential personnel, players and coaches, and staff, obviously, and then parents, and then fortunately for me, media. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, certain schools are giving each player two tickets to give away, and yeah. they're not going to be admitting people at the door, or you can't buy tickets at the door. Uh, but the biggest news that just broke about nine, ten minutes ago was uh, they just changed the at least the boys' uh, basketball tournament going on this week for the Elite Eight round. Uh, so originally, it was going to be taking place at CCRI on Sunday, and now they change it. It's going to be taking place at uh, Rick, and it's going to be on Saturday. Uh, looks like Hendrick and the winner of Hendrick and Tolman and the winner of Westerly and Cranston West, which is obviously relevant to our coverage area, they'll be facing each other. So it's going to be an 8 p.m. game on Saturday night at Rick. And then there's a few other games it's going to be going on all throughout the day at Rick. But, uh, yeah, pretty pretty big pretty big news here. Yeah. Um and then for any media that is listening to this that doesn't already know, 
schools are encouraging media members to inform the host athletic directors of their presence at least a few hours beforehand just try and keep tabs on who is entering these buildings and who they have to keep an eye out for but yeah you know it's it's pretty big news obviously you saw in the nba last night they postponed the season at the nhl's already talking about possibly doing that i understand they have have they at this point yeah so you know, it's, it's going to be interesting here for all sports at all levels. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely something you have to keep an eye on at this point just with scheduling and, you know, all the different implications. And yeah. it is just, you know, it's a, an evolving story here. And, you know, I've been checking the phone about every hour or so. It seems like there's always an update. So yeah. for fans out there that are trying to tune in this weekend, be sure to keep an eye on the RIAL website and, you know, make the appropriate, appropriate adjustments. Yeah, and this yeah. is all extended, obviously, to the college level too mm-hmm. local schools are closing down sending kids home for the semester mm-hmm. and those tournaments are uh, largely being mm-hmm. canceled right right and from what i understand the big east is the only big big uh conference that hasn't canceled their games they're actually playing as we speak right now um but it seems like it's just a matter of time yeah. before that closed down i mean it just seems like sports are gonna be put on hold for at least the next few weeks yeah. uh, i know other states too have been you know, handling it in different ways, whether it be postponing or doing what Rhode Island is doing and just adjusting the times and the venues and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's fortunate in one sense that the season's winding down because we're going to have a little bit of a break here until spring. So fortunately, at least on at the high school level, there's not going to be a whole lot of games missed. And it sounds like they're just going to try to push through the rest of the season. Uh, after this week, it's going to be the state championships for basketball. Hockey wraps up this week, and the next week state championships for high school, and that'll be the official end of winter. So yeah. it sounds like they're just going to try to push through it and hope for the best. Yeah, well, hopefully for these teams and everyone involved, they, they get to have those moments. Obviously, it will be mm-hmm. affected in a way that nobody mm-hmm. would have liked with uh, limited right. spectators. But I was going to ask, have you seen any active screening measures at any of these venues have any of that been in place to this point like for you know people coming in to see the games have there been we've heard about that at you know senior facilities and uh and that kind of thing already but no not not yet i'm, I'm not sure they've been putting out as simple as just putting out hand sanitizer and stuff like that yeah. i mean from what i understand in terms of security and you know taking precaution like that it's mostly just kind of you know worry about it yourself it sounds like they they're encouraging obviously elderly folks not to go to the games i mean obviously now most venues they're not even going to be allowed unless they are part of the families you know um but yeah it sounds like it's more of you know just making people aware the simple precautions washing your hands if you're elderly or you have an underlying uh you know health condition don't obviously go to the events and obviously if you're sick with even if it's not you know coronavirus just mm-hmm. don't go to events just stay at home if you're sick yeah but it's, it's been interesting on Twitter, too, just seeing local athletes voicing their opinions on it. You're getting all sorts of opinions. But, again, and one point that multiple kids have brought up that I find interesting is that they say they're very upset with the fact that they're still required to go into their public schools where there are up to 2,000 kids, but yet their friends and, you know, other, you know, extended family can't watch them play their final games. You know, many of these kids, this is their final high school game coming yeah. up, and now they have only two people from their family that can come see it, and some people don't have any. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's been an interesting dynamic and back and forth. I mean, the conversation obviously can be a frustrating one, mm-hmm. but, you know, it is an interesting one. And, you no, know, it's all sides, be, yeah. I imagine it's got to be frustrating for the athletes <laughs> right. and the families involved, but mm-hmm. at the very least, it does seem that uh, from, from indications that 
young people are a little less uh, at risk or, mm-hmm. um, but those populations are right. the primary concern at this point mm-hmm. Right. So, and I don't know if it really helps the cause or, or not, but you hear, you know, a few of these NBA players now have it. Ruby Gobert and uh, Donovan Mitchell each have contracted it, and both, uh, I guess they're doing well. They said they're in good spirits. They're feeling a little under the weather, but nothing, you know, significant. So I'm sure that's rubbed off in some of these high school kids, and yeah, yeah it's kind of, you know, allowed them to relax a little bit. But, uh, yeah, obviously, that, I know last night, mm-hmm. the, the Tom Hanks news. Right. That's, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Moment, I think, that will really break through mm-hmm. consciousness. But you're right, the, the prominent athletes that have now been mm-hmm. um, affected by this. Hopefully mm-hmm. that, uh, for folks that uh, have maybe been reticent or slow to, to, mm-hmm. to take the precautions you know, that, are, that are wise for everyone, hopefully this gets people to be more mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Right, and all you can do is just try to take the proper precautions and keep yourself safe and just roll with the punches, I guess. Yeah. Especially you know, if you're a sports fan specifically, all you can do is keep your eyes on you know, social media and on the, the league websites and... You know, just do what you can. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for the update, Alex. So you can follow Alex at aspon27, A-S-P-O-N 27 on Twitter. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you. Talk to you soon. And uh, thank you for joining us on this edition of Radio Beacon. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald. You can follow us on Twitter at roadybeat, at R-H-O-D-Y-B-E-A-T dot com. That is the Twitter of Beacon Communications. Um, Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you next week.